Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Kristen Lowry. And this season, we are focusing on stories from the field. We're speaking with practitioners of mission and gospel movement around the world. For this episode, we have the privilege of Lee Price joining us. You forgot to introduce me, Kristen. So hello, my name is Daniel Lowry. You wrote the script and you left yourself out. So Okay, well, sorry. (laughs) What does that say? Like I have, I have serious insecurity issues. Um, so Lee currently serves as a co-team leader along with his wife, Jana of Ignite Colorado, based in Western Colorado. Lee also serves on the Pioneering Initiatives team, a tribe of Novo, as one of the lead team members. Lee has lived as a missionary on the Western slope of Colorado for over 15 years and has seen many people find hope in Christ. Lee loves to develop new disciples through microchurches and pour into emerging leaders. He also provides coaching and consulting with nonprofits and city government leaders across the country. Jana, his wife, has been bringing the kingdom of God into education for the past 20 years and currently is principal of Catherine's Senior Elementary School. She is an innovator in education and ministry, along with being a terrific mother and wife. Their children, Jalen and Jack, are both Colorado natives. Jalen is currently a junior at West Texas A&M University, and Jack is a freshman at Wayland Baptist University. Lee, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for having me. Excited to be on today. Yeah, we've tried a couple of times and it didn't work out. So yeah, I just am so excited to to have you on. I was, uh, man, I think it was uh, fall or winter of last year. I was listening to the Casey Underground podcast that mm-hmm. you were on. And I was out, you know, taking a taking a walk, taking a jog. And as soon as I, you know, you kind of came to sharing some of the stories. And I mean, I ran home as I... Man, I did some I did some good time that day. And I'm like, Kristen, you gotta listen to this podcast. No, stop what you're doing. Listen to it now. Right. And so it was just so good. And hearing these stories, it was so encouraging. So I am really, really excited to to share your stories with our audience. Mm-hmm. So Lee, uh, as we do with every episode this season, we have asked people to share kind of a funny, comical mission story, something to prove that you are actually human. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So one of the times that comes to mind is I was, uh, I was in Tanzania and, uh, had just, uh, been there like as our first, second day and, uh, got up in front of a group and said Jamba to everybody and, uh, greeted them, uh, in with, uh, a hello that I thought, uh, was in, in Swahili in the language there. And, nobody responded back to me. So I did it again. I said, Jamba to everybody. And uh, again, no response from anybody. And the interpreter said, you know, you need to say Jambo, Jambo. So I said, Jambo. And everybody said, Jambo back to me, you know, after I got it right. Well, after I got done sharing some of the things that my interpreter said, he was cracking up. He said, Jamba means passing gas. (laughs) And so I had greeted everybody. Um, twice with uh with passing gas and uh, (laughs) and so yeah it was one of those times where you know you don't even know what to say so (laughs) i i'm just thinking like so if you came to like let's say a church we pastored and you started off with passing gas right i'm just thinking of like so is he telling me to do that or is he saying what he's doing like i I would be confused (laughs) i'm confused as to what to do oh my gosh okay that's awesome yeah you are human oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) you are human so lee let's jump in hear your story tell us a little bit about your history your story where you came from uh, how you met jesus all that good stuff yeah Yeah, so I was fortunate to grow up in a family where Christ was at the center of our family. And uh, and I began to to really learn about Jesus and how to follow him at a young age. But I struggled greatly in my teenage years, my, you know, kind of from that freshman year to 
to my junior year of high school, just really struggled with uh, my identity, searched in friends, in alcohol, in um, some drugs, and just getting involved in a lot of the wrong things. And through that struggle, kind of came to uh, came to it to a head my junior year of high school. I got disciplined off of the basketball team during the season of uh, my junior year and ended up getting kicked off the team. And we ended up going to state a couple of games later. And I, at the time I was, you know, fortunate to play quite a bit. And so I got to watch all my teammates from the sidelines and due to poor decisions I was making. And uh, God really began to use my struggle and in my teen years to get my attention and show me one, what the true reality of sin is in my life and what uh, the consequences of sin can do. And then out of that, I I began in between my junior and senior year to say, I'm I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to to surrender my life to knowing him and uh, following him. And so I did that um, in between my junior and senior year, and things really began to change for me. I began to have a whole new group of friends. I began to read the word and, and really feel like it's speaking to me for the first time in my life, my senior year. And out of that, over the kind of the next year, year and a half, my senior year, freshman year of college, began to feel a draw into ministry began to feel a call into ministry. And that uh, call initially was to teenagers. Um, it was really more to, to work with teens that were struggling with the same things I had just come out of. And so to take, you know, the things I was learning and, and pour back into teens. So, so I spent the next 10, 10 11 years working with teenagers, um, mainly in, uh, in Texas. Uh, that's where I had met my wife in college. And we, um, we worked in two churches in Texas, working with teenagers and helping start uh, youth ministries. And then uh, we're called to come to Colorado in 2001. And so we left the panhandle of Texas and moved to Fort Collins, Colorado. And, uh, and we're called to do the same thing, to move up there and work, uh, work with teenagers. But there was a pretty big shift that began to happen when I left uh, Texas to move up to Colorado. And one of those shifts was as we we came into a it was a conventional church that really had a vision for church planting and uh we had never been a part of a ministry that uh, had a vision to start new things out of the church and that church had a vision to start 20 new churches in 20 years kind of north of denver and uh we went there ended up uh really learning a lot in that church one of the things we learned was that when we would give away resources for the kingdom, God would God would replace them. So our back door was as big as our front door. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, at one time we we sent about 120 people out of our church, plant another church on the south side of Fort Collins, and uh, 20 of those were teenagers and a youth a youth group that we planted out of our youth group. And God replaced those 120 people with about 150 new people in the, the sponsoring church within about six months. And so it just, I guess it was just one of those things that began to learn, you know, some of the basic principles of how the kingdom works. But I also learned uh, when I moved from Texas to, to Colorado, one of the things in Texas is we had a ton of support from like in the schools. We did outreach to kids did events. For example, if I was passing out flyers in a school, the one day I went in there and the kids put the flyers on the floor of the school and the principal in Texas just came up to me and said, said, you know, you don't need to pick those flyers up. I was going to pick them up. She said, we're just so thankful to have you here working in our schools. Wow. And then when I got up to Colorado, the first, it was first or second week I had given flyers to our kids and they had put them, you know, in the school at Pooter High School in Fort Collins. And about a day or two later, I got a call from the principal of the high school in Fort Collins. And she said, um, she said, I don't know where you're from, but I found one of these flyers on our in our school. And uh, and I don't ever want to see another flyer in my school. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a real, um, I guess, eye opening 
experience for me that uh, really began to make me realize we've got to shift some things in uh, how we operate. And at that time, this is 20 years ago in Colorado, in a very post-Christian setting. Mm. And so things started to stir inside of me and I, I, I didn't really know what that potentially could look like, but I believe the Lord was starting to you know, begin to lay the, the foundational groundwork uh, for things that were to come in my life and, um, and in our ministry. So we, we worked in that church in Fort Collins for five years and, and learned a lot of great principles, like I said, about church planting. We planted six churches in that time. And at that time, about four years into it, I had taken a, a group of teenagers down to Mexico on a mission trip to just go down. And uh, it, it was one of those quick trips where we drove 14 hours from Fort Collins down to the border near El Paso into Juarez. And, and we had gotten down there the first night, took 40 kids down there. And I got a call after um, I laid down, I got a call that one of my leaders was sick. And so um, they said, could you come over and pick John up? He needs to be taken to the hospital. I don't think he's doing good. And so I I drove back across Juarez and picked him up and took him across to El Paso to the hospital because that's where they felt was best to go. Long story short, found out he had a brain aneurysm. He had a bleed and he was, um, the blood vessels were spasming so much that they couldn't do surgery on him. Oh my goodness. And the doctors told me, they said, I think he's got, you know, eight to 12 hours to live. So you need to go get his kids who were asleep in Mexico on our trip as two teenage kids and bring them over to say bye to their dad. So I went and got, got the kids and brought them um, back to see their dad. And we, we got some prayer warriors praying and miraculously um, John laid in that bed in, in uh, El Paso in the hospital bed for 40 days and God miraculously stopped the bleed. Wow. He, uh, he's still alive today. He's still doing good today. But uh, what kind of transpired out of that trip um, the next day, next couple of days is the parents said, uh, due to all that had happened and kind of the trauma, the event, they said, can you can you come on home? Can you bring the kids back home? So we got back in the car and drove all the way back to Fort Collins. And I um, hadn't slept at this point for like three or four days. And oh my goodness. I get home and I go into go to bed and. My wife comes up to me right when I'm, uh, we're about to go to sleep. And she said, I know you've had a tough week. And she said, I know it's been a lot. We've been praying for you. She said, but we need to talk. And it was one of those moments when your wife tells you we need to talk. She means business. We need to talk. So, so I said, well, not now, honey, maybe when I get some sleep, you know, we could, um, <laughs> can you relate? So Lee, when you're, when, when, when your wife says we need to talk, there's no we about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's going to talk and you're going to sit down and listen, right? Like that's what, <laughs> that's what we need to talk means. Maybe it's different in your house, but that's what it's like in my house. <laughs> that's basically what was coming. You know, and I, Am I, I wrong, uh, Kristen? No, I mean, yeah, you're you're right, but <laughs> y'all are so thick-headed. That <laughs> <laughs> well, that's basically yep. what it was. Is she she said, you know, I know you've had a rough week, but she said, the kids and I, um, we need you. You are you are rarely around, and I know you're doing good things for God, and I know, but uh, the kids need their dad. I need my husband. And she just began to kind of share some of the things she was feeling. Well, I closed my my eyes that night and I um, all I could see was the trauma of going back and forth across the border and the situation I dealt with in Mexico. And to be honest, see my failures as a dad and as a husband. And I, I tried to go to sleep and I couldn't. And that went on for about 30 days of just not being able to sleep. And every time I would try to... Um, you know, go to sleep, I just couldn't. And the Lord started to stir a question in my heart. He started to stir the question of what is, what's most important in this life? What's more important than anything else? And that question started to, to really mull around. And um, the answer the Lord gave me was, was out of Mark 12, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, and I really began to hone in on what does it mean to love God with all my heart? Um, what does that look like? 
I didn't really know at the time. I knew what it meant to do ministry for him and to serve him, but I was really struggling with what does it mean to love him with all. Well, I had another mission trip coming up after Mexico, about four months after Mexico to Thailand. And uh, this mission trip involved taking about 20 kids to Thailand. And we ended up the night before I was going on the mission trip to Thailand. My wife said, you know, I don't have a good feeling about this trip. I'm not sure you need to go. And I said, you know, babe, I don't have a great feeling about it either, but it's my job and I got to do my job. We've got $30,000 invested, so I got to go. So we got on the plane and took the group to Thailand and we got there and didn't know exactly what we were doing. But when we got there, we, we were trained the first day in prayer walking and told we're going to prayer walk the Hindu Buddhist shrines in, Tha- in Thailand and Bangkok and Chiang Mai. So we started prayer walking these shrines and temples. And on the fourth day, I started while we were in one of the temples, I started to feel sick and I started to feel a pain in the side of my neck and my throat started to hurt. And uh, make a long story short, I ended up going to my room and getting really sick after that prayer walk and spent two, made two visits over the next week in, in the hospital in uh, Bangkok. And gratefully, you know, the Lord, thankful the Lord let me come home from that trip even though I got pretty sick. And when I got home for the next year, I was still the youth pastor of a church. I continued to be sick. I kept having reoccurring infections in my throat, started having neurological problems. I had two surgeries on my throat. Um, Every time I'd get up to preach, speak, uh, I'd lose my voice, couldn't do my job effectively. And um, about a year after being sick and struggling, some of my friends from Australia said, can we pray with you? over uh, the phone, the Lord showed us some things about what's going on with your health and life. And so we got on the phone one morning with these friends in Australia, and they began in the spirit to describe the elephant shrine in Bangkok, where I got sick. They could see the whole thing in the spirit. And they said, we see you in this place and we see you holding up a sword. It's not the sword of the spirit. It's the sword of the flesh. And you need to repent of doing uh, ministry in your own strength and your own power. Oh, wow. And so I did. I began to to repent and uh, and weep and ask God to forgive me for for doing ministry in my own strength and my own power. They said, we see a, a demon-possessed older gentleman put a red scarf around your neck, and we see you begin to just hold your neck. Mm-hmm. They said, whatever happened to you in Thailand, has it had any effect on your son? And at the time, our son was waking up in the middle of the night, kind of having fits rages. And so they said, uh, can we pray for your son? And they prayed for Jack. He was two at the time. And Jack never had another episode after that prayer time that morning. But that was really, I would say that was probably the biggest shift for me. What took place between that trip to Mexico and that trip to Thailand, those two mission trips, where the Lord really began to show me that uh, a lot of I was doing a lot of good things, but I was doing a lot of things in my own power and my own strength. My intentions were good, but they were um, misguided. Mm. I really needed to, you know, move into uh, operating from a place of dependence and his spirit leading versus doing it in my own strength. Yeah, I think that's a huge lesson for, for all of us. As we talk about gospel movements and seeing the kingdom of God happen, that that is um, definitely a wrestling that we're we all at some point are going to have to deal with, right? Like, am I waiting for the Spirit? Am I listening, or am I jumping in on my own? I know for your story was such a an encouragement to me because I'm very much like, let's just run into the fight, and you know, it doesn't matter how many guys are there, like will win, you know, I'll just work harder, something like that. And one of the things that I've learned in this, in this latest season of ministry is to wait and to listen. What are, what are you saying, Jesus? Where do you want us to be? And Kristen and I's mantra has been, we, we've done a lot of great things in ministry. We've done a lot of good things, things that we could be proud of. And hey, look at this. But we're done with that. We want to be part of something that only Jesus can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I and and I don't want to be a I don't want to be able to boast in it. And I'm reminded of Paul's 
exhortation. You know, we boast in the Lord. We boast in what God has done. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think your story is really, really good reminder for us all. Well, it's amazing. I, I was thinking about, you know, we can call it like maybe traditional church or the prevailing model, as the Casey Underground calls it, how it really does kind of set us up to be so busy. I'm taking from, what's his name? Thibodeau, the mystic, armchair mystic. He he writes in his book that we're so busy doing things for God that we forget to be with him. And I'm so thankful that you were healed and Jack was set free and all those things resolved. But what a, a dramatic story about how when we do sometimes when we're in just more maybe like traditional church mode, we can wind up just doing stuff because we're capable. Yeah. And it may not necessarily be the things that the Lord has us to do, or we go about them in that a way that the Lord would want us to do, but we're just capable. I remember telling Dan, like, I can put on a worship service with my eyes closed and I can sing the songs and people will be moved emotionally and the spirit will not be there. Mm, yeah. I'm just because I'm capable of doing it. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it is really, I resonate with the story as well that mm-hmm. we're seeking some different things in this season for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it really should cause us all to really take a step back because if that's the way that the leaders of the churches are engaging, right, in my own strength and my own power and stuff like that, it just naturally precipitates down into the pews. So, you know, what's happening in the pews? We're all just kind of going through the motions, you know, we're doing a lot of good things. So, well, Lee, uh, let's move on with your story. So you were a youth pastor. You were in, had some, you know, revelatory moments there with with Jesus, kind of bringing you over into the, the kingdom of light. What happened after that? Yeah, so it's a lot of what you both are talking about. I had to learn how to move from a place of performance-based ministry to to what you're describing more of a presence being moved from a presence based ministry. And that was a lot of unlearning things that, um, and I still, I still will default sometimes into, to that striving place. But, uh, that's what happened next is I just, uh, I just said, Jesus, teach me what it means to operate from a place of your presence. And so after I got done with that whole encounter with the folks in Australia and, laying down my, you know, sort of the flesh, Jesus started, I just get up each day and I would just spend time with him. And I made that my top priority. And sometimes that was an hour and sometimes that was the whole morning. And that went on for months of just learning to be in his presence, learning to how to abide and hear his voice. As I did that, he began to show me things that he was doing on the earth. He began to show me the places uh, that he wanted me to go into where I was living. And uh, we transitioned from Fort Collins to Western Colorado, where we are now, during that time when I was sick. And some of the things that the Lord showed me was he showed me that he was multiplying these small churches or disciples, groups of people all over the planet. He was, he was bringing a multiplication in the small And then he showed me that he had birthed a prayer movement in um, the UK and birthed a prayer movement in the US in the same month of the same year. And I asked him, I said, why are you doing these things, Lord? Why are you you multiplying these things in the small? Why why did you birth these prayer movements the way you birthed them? And, And I heard his voice really clearly come back and say, I'm taking back the headship of my church. You can't point to one man or one woman that's the head of this. When you look at what's happening, it's happening quickly. It's very organic. It's very viral. And and I'm leading it. I'm the one that's leading it. Um, and I'm taking ordinary people to do it and to, to raise them up and do it. So, so that really got my attention. I asked the Lord, well, what does that look like for me to, to participate in that? What would it look like for me to be a part and, uh, and small or big, whatever the Lord wants to do. And, he said, I want you to go and I want you to start hanging out with the homeless in the region where you live. And so I 
I started looking for homeless people in the little community I live in and there weren't any. And so I went one more community over about eight miles and found the homeless under bridges and the parks and started to hang out with them. And uh, as I ha- as I was hanging out with them over about a month period, they said, you need to go to room 105 of the Silver Spruce Motel in Glenwood Springs. And so I had like three homeless people tell me that. So I went, knocked on the door of room 105 and this little lady comes to the door and she, um, she looks at me and she, you know, says, hi, how can I help you? And I said, you know, I was praying and the Lord told me to hang out with the homeless. They told me to come over here. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I'm a retired social worker from Chicago. She said, I gave my life to Christ about a year ago and the Lord told me to feed his sheep. So I rented this hotel room. I took the beds out and I started feeding the homeless. But I told God, if I do this and I need somebody that knows the Bible that can help me. And she looked at me and she said, you're that guy that's going to help me. And so I spent, um, yeah, so I spent (laughs) three years in that um, hotel room with her really learning uh, how to, you know, learning a lot from the homeless and learning how to minister to the homeless. Mm. And uh, what I learned, though, is God was already, God is already working in our schools, in our cities, in our neighborhoods. God is at work, but a lot of times we got to stop and listen Mm -hmm. and hear Mm -hmm. his voice on where it is he wants us to go Mm -hmm. or where it is he wants us to partner with him in. Uh, the places that he's already at work. And and that's kind of been the case all the way through our uh, journey and our ministry. We have a saying is that we listen to God, we obey, and we teach others to do the same. And so we listen and we obey and we teach others to do the same. And so over the next, you know, five years of, of working with the homeless, We also started these simple churches in homes and neighborhoods in our region that has now turned into a network of of simple, you know, micro churches in the region that we're in. We were given an old church building Mm. and we asked the Lord, we thought, well, should we go in and plant a church in the building? And the Lord clearly said, we asked the Lord what we should do with the building. And the Lord said Mm. to do three things with it. He said, I want you to put in a house of prayer a 24-7 prayer room. I want you to meet the needs of the community, identify the needs in the community. I want you to be a place of refuge for the hurting. So Mm -hmm. we took the building and we just did exactly what the Lord had told us to do. And the prayer room came to life very quickly, began to see 24-7 prayer happening over a 10-year span. And uh, we still have a prayer room today that is active. And yeah, just us could tell you story after story of what God's done through the prayer room. One of the things that we notice with the 24-7 prayer rooms is that people go in the prayer room the first or second time they go in. And when they come out, a lot of times I would notice that they're crying or they're pretty shook up. And I would, after a while, I started stopping people and asking them, you know, what's, you know, what's going on? Why are they upset? And they said, you know, I, I haven't gotten still before God in a long time. And one of the things we, we quickly realized was that uh, in our culture that is so, so busy and so driven that, uh, you know, getting still in the presence of God is something that we, we don't do a lot of. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we do, we have that encounter with the holy and awesome God. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so, so just, you know, learning to operate from this new place of, of the presence of God kind of being, you know, at the the foundation of everything we do. We like to say repentance and prayer and fasting are like the the headwaters in Colorado. The headwaters is where the snow melts at the very top of the peaks and starts to trickle down to to form the rivers that run, you know, by my house and here in Colorado. But the headwaters for us is repentance and prayer and fasting. And we've really gone after that over the years. And that's been the fuel for movement in a, in a lot of different ways we've seen God move, but it's been through that and learning how to operate starting place being his presence. Yeah, no, that's, that's fabulous. I think I'm just struck by your story in, in terms of you had to learn to stop, you know, to be still, be still and know that I am God and, and listen in that place. But it required everything else going 
You know, like I got to stop everything else. And, and I can just remember pastoring for so long. I would feel the same knowing I needed to stop or knowing we needed to stop, but you still have these services you got to put on. You still got, like, you still got all the, you know, you got to keep that machine moving, you know, even though you know there's got to be something different. And so I think maybe that might be a word of encouragement to people as well. You got to stop, like you got to be willing to give, just stop and, and move forward out of that presence. Well, you, you know, you and I, we've chatted uh, numerous times in different settings and, and you've shared some just, I mean, to say they're crazy stories, I don't know, that's probably not the word for it, but just like, are you kidding me stories? Like only Jesus could do these stories, right? Can you share with us just some stories from what's been happening with Ignite Colorado, Western Colorado? What is Jesus doing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I want to share this one story kind of to lead into that. We, you know, one morning I had, I was awoken and the Lord clearly told me to get a little bottle of oil and um, get a ram's horn and to go up on a mountain right uh, behind my house and just go up there and that he would show me what he wants to do next. He also led me to Genesis 28 just to read where Jacob was at Bethel and, you know, Jacob is, is at Bethel and he has this vision of angels going up and down on this ladder. And the Lord tells him that he is in this place, he says, and that he's going to be with, with Jacob if Jacob is faithful. So God had given me that scripture when I awoke, told me to get some oil and get a ram's horn and go up, uh, go up on this mountain. So um, I did it. I went up and I was hiking up the mountain. I was near the top and I asked the Lord, am I to the right spot? And the Lord said, no. So I asked him a couple more times and finally he said, yeah, right, right there. So I kneeled down at a rock uh, that was in front of me and, um, and I began to pray. And the Lord clearly said a little bit into my prayer time, he said, anoint the rock with oil that you're, that you're sitting up against. So I anointed the rock with oil and began to pray some more and a little bit more into my prayer time, the Lord said, look up. And I looked up and I didn't realize it, but I was at this rock outcropping that had three trees on top of this rock outcropping that had been struck by lightning. And the three trees look like the three crosses where Jesus had been crucified. Mm -hmm. And then the Lord said, uh, look down. And I looked down and the rock that I had anointed with oil, all the oil drops look like blood drops all over the rock at this point. And I began to just, you know, worship Jesus for what he had done for me and what he had done for the valley that I live in, the place where I live. Well, the Lord um, then said, look up again. I looked up and I saw a stairway coming from, uh, from heaven to earth and God's angels just moving up and down it. And uh, the Lord then told me that uh, he was in this place and that uh, he was going to, if, if I was faithful and those that we worked with were faithful, that he was going to move in this place. And then he told me to take the ram's horn and blow it. And to this day, I can't blow a shofar. I can't blow a ram's horn. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. But I started to blow that horn and I blew it for over 20 minutes over the whole valley, all surrounding areas. And I'll be honest with you, God's presence has, has just permeated our region over the years. There's been transformation in the, in the school district, in many, many schools. We've seen prayer in 11 out of 12 schools. We've seen transformation in a number of schools. Uh, we've seen the little town that we're in, about 5,000 people. We've seen uh, now that the, the town council is a majority Christian. The um, city managers, a Christian, the downtown business community has been transformed. We just continue to see the kingdom come in, a, in, in so many ways, so many great ways. I don't know what specific stories, you know, you'd like for, for me to share, but um, yeah, that, can you share that high school one? I think it was something about authority and you, you went into the high schools and we're praying. That was the one that I just stuck sticks out to me. Yeah, so so we've realized, like with the um, presence-based ministry of starting with prayer, that the way that we take ground from the enemy is is what we've learned come to call it kingdom come prayer walking, yeah. where the Lord 
gives us an assignment, a missional assignment, and we get that in listening prayer. And then we, we go and we, you know, begin to pray that the kingdom will come. Well, the Lord gave us the missional assignment to go to one of the local high schools here in the region. And, and in prayer, before we got to the high school, the Lord showed us, he showed us this um, big dead tree that was uh, at the high school. And he showed us that uh, there were these uh, black crows that were uh, sitting in the in the dead tree. And then Jesus was in the field and he was sowing seeds in this field at the high school. But as, as soon as Jesus would sow a seed, the black crows would come out of the dead tree and they would grab the seeds and they would snatch the seeds that Jesus was seeing. Well, the reports we'd gotten from the high school was that, that you know, there were kids that would, would hear the gospel. They might even respond to the good news of Jesus, but they wouldn't, it wasn't taking root, wasn't taking hold in, in their lives. Hmm. And in fact, there was some strongholds in the high school. There was a lot of sexting going on. There was sexual immorality happening, even amongst staff. And there was some, some really dark, real darkness happening in the school. And so we asked the Lord, okay, what do you want us to do in our prayer walking with the school to, to see your kingdom come here? And he, he clearly said, I want you to, like Jericho, I want you to prayer walk seven days straight around school. So we, um, we went uh, seven mornings to, in a row to prayer walk at a team of people, um, about three or four people. And we would go each morning and just walk all the way around the school and pray. And as the spirit led us to pray that God would break those um, strongholds. On the fourth day of prayer walking the school, I got a call from the principal and I don't know how she found out, but somehow she found out we'd been prayer walking the school. And she said, uh, I heard that you guys were prayer walking school. And she said, I am um, really thankful for what you're doing. I'd like to bring you the keys to the school so you can prayer walk in the school. <laughs> that's a, that's a far cry from the principal that told you I never want to see this flyer again. Right. That's a far cry, man. <laughs> yeah. and, and you got to yep. think this is a, this is a, you know, public high school in Western yeah. Colorado. So pretty big deal. So she comes over, brings me the keys. We go in and prayer walk in the school on the fifth and sixth day. And then the Lord told us, you need to invite an older gentleman on the sixth day. The Lord said, you need to invite the last day, your seventh day to invite this older gentleman in your community to come join you guys to prayer walk on the seventh day. So we said, okay, God. And one of the big things we've learned is when God tells us to do something, we do it. We obey. So we went and invited this older gentleman who is a believer to come and join us. And he shows up. And he shows up and he brings his ram's horn, his shofar. So he shows up with the shofar and uh, he gets out and he says, I I don't know exactly why you guys asked me to come, but I'm sure you have good reason to ask me to come and pray. And we shared with him the story of what had happened the last six days. And he said, I know why I'm here. And we said, why is that? And he said, well, I was on the school board uh, years ago, years and years, like 20 some odd years ago. He said, and I um, helped purchase the property to buy the school. He said, I wrote the check to purchase the property to buy the school. He said, I think I have some spiritual authority here. Mm. He blew his shofar and he prayed. And then we wrapped up our prayer time that we had for seven days. Well, about two months later, I get a call from the principal. And she said, I don't know what you guys did. But we have not had one disciplinary issue in two months in our school. She said our whole office staff is bored because we don't have any of the problems we've had in the past. Wow. I get a call. I get a call about two months later from the guy that leads the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the school. And he said, you know, we've we've struggled along through the years to do Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We'd have, you know, 10 or so kids be involved. It's always, you know, gone okay, but been hard to go. He said, this year, we have so many kids that we can't even fit in a classroom. We have 70 to 80 kids that we had to move into the gym. He said, the whole atmosphere has changed in school. Now I can tell you what's really cool. This has just happened in the last three months, but uh, there was a big Titan because Titan is their mascot. And it was a big, like the tree is a big wooden carved tree stump. And when we were prayer walking, we felt like the Titan needed to go away, but we couldn't just take the school mascot out, but we felt like it symbolized <laughs> the big black tree that yeah. the, the crows sat in, you know, that were snatching. So 
I get a call from the principal at the end of last school year. And she said, it's gone. And I said, what? She said, it's gone. The mascot's gone. I said, really? She said, yeah, you won't believe what happened. She said, the seniors tried to do a prank and they brought all these tools and they took the mascot up and they tried to bring it into the school. They had this big doll. They tried to bring it in in the prank and they couldn't get in any of the doors. So they set it in my parking place where the principal's supposed to park. And she said, I came to work. It was sitting there and I called maintenance and I, and I told them to, to just haul it off, get rid of it. She said, it's gone. And uh, that was just like the physical symbol of what we had prayed yeah. about four years ago actually is gone. But we've seen a number, we've seen over 20 discovery Bible studies in that school over the last five yeah. years. We mm-hmm. continue to see kids coming to Christ and the, the change we've seen, we've got about 11 Christian teachers now in the school. And when we started working in that school 10 years ago, we, we, we maybe had one. So it's, uh, it's shifting. The whole climate is shifting and it's, you know, it's due to prayer. That's amazing. The thing that's running through my head is, um, so what does worship look for you, look like for you guys? Because you, you do have a story of stepping back, maybe kind of deconstructing, kind of getting rid of the things that hinder, so to speak, and really being about listening and obeying, you know, and, and teaching others to do the same. So I think it's really important to really, so are you worshiping? Like, do you worship? Do you have a community that comes together to worship? And I know, Kristen, you have a question as well. Well, I was just going to say maybe before we go to that, because that's kind of a different topic. I just wanted, you know, for our listeners, for everybody in the back, when you hear this story, it's, I think, is it a 10 year time frame? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've seen a lot of progress in the last five years. Yeah. But, you know, the, the prayer walking Jericho you know, that prayer walking was about five years ago, but we've been engaging the school for 10 years. Yeah. And most of our, most of our spaces, you know, where we see trans, we've seen transformation. It's a three to three to 10, even 15 year process. Yeah. And it's so, so for people listening and maybe movement, gospel movement is a newer concept. It looks so different than what we're used to. Because mm-hmm. I know, yeah. right, where we mm-hmm. live, and, and you guys did that prayer time, the prayer walk, and I'm not going to say nothing changed because it did, but it wasn't like the very next morning, 3,000 people showed up in the gym and mm-hmm. came to Jesus, and now we have instant church, and it's uh, we have lights. I mean, that's not, that's not how the kingdom measures success. Like, we have this idea, especially where we live, where churches, they, they tend to grow very quickly with a large a number of attendants. Mm-hmm. And we, that's how we equate, oh, they're doing really well. Wow, they're so successful. They have 15,000 mm-hmm. people showing up on a weekend to services. Right. The Lord is, when, when the Spirit's moving and we're engaging in this kind of ministry and seeing gospel movements take hold, it looks very different. Yeah, and I think that really, that's really a good point and tied into Dan's question mm-hmm. with that is it's in the small. It looks very different. It's been in the small. But like our first microchurch that we started in our home was the way it started is is we, my wife and I started meeting people in the community. So we already had the group going in the hotel room with the homeless. Mm -hmm. So we were doing that, working with the homeless out there. But then we were meeting people. My wife's an educator and she was in the school. She was meeting people. We're meeting people in the community. And we just started taking the names of everybody we met and putting them on a list and prayed every day over that list of the people we were meeting. Mm -hmm. As we prayed, um, that list grew to about 45 or 50 people over about a you know four or five month span. And then the Lord started stirring the hearts of those those people on that list. And we would keep running into them in different ways, having connections. Mm-hmm. Make a long story short, 12 of those 50 people on that list gave their life to Christ 
over about a year and a half to two year span. They ended up coming to Christ. What we did is we started doing discovery Bible study with those people in our home. And they then start to follow Jesus through discovering who Jesus is in a discovery process. Twelve of those people give their life to Christ. We baptize them in the swimming pool. We baptize them in the hot tub. We baptize them in the um, Colorado River. So we baptized them publicly. And then we started doing uh, microchurch with those people um, as they, after they came to know Christ. So this was about 14 years ago. And that was our first group. Well, when we start doing church with them, we start introducing to them worship. And I'll never forget, my wife asked them, do they know any worship songs? They didn't know. They didn't know any worship song. So she asked them, do you know the song Country Road? And they knew the song Country Road. So um, my wife. Um, no, you didn't. Song, <laughs> no. Yeah, the first song that my wife taught them was Country Road. Uh, so we sang that together. Oh. And, um, and then, uh, and she talked about the, all the different roads that we go down and paths that we go down. And, and then she started introducing the same worship songs to them every week or two. She would, she would just sing the same ones. And after we would sing, after we'd sing a song, they would clap for her every week for a month, they would clap for her. And, um, and about, uh, about two months in it to it, they started to sing and they started to worship and, um, they started to learn what it meant to worship. And that group of 12, you know, grew to about, it, it grew pretty big to about 40 or 50 people, mm -hmm. um, that then in turn, we prayed and asked God, well, what do you want us to do next? And he said, multiply. And so that group. 40 people multiplied into four different micro churches that then were reaching into other groups of people um, that they um, that were in other neighborhoods or uh, businesses. So that 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 group were just ordinary people who in turn, you know, reached into their um, to their places where God has them at. And that was the birth of the network that that exists today called river churches which is the network of these simple you know micro churches we do have a once a month now that it's grown to you know over you know around 10 or so micro churches at one point i think we had around you know 12 or 13 but we seem to kind of hover around 10 micro churches those all those churches um meet together usually once every two months, sometimes once a month to worship together and encourage each other. Um, a lot of times it's a time for us just to, we call them all church gatherings. It's a time for us to share stories of what God is doing in, um, in the different places and to be encouraged with each other. Yeah, I, I really think it's fascinating because when you're talking about 10 microchurches, I mean, how many people are we talking about? 100, 150? couple hundred yeah, yeah which yeah. is a which is a, a great amount of people especially in a size town that you're you're in you know but this amount of people i, I just want to go back to your small concept this amount of people which you're from texas and we were joking around about how ten thousand people at a college was considered small <laughs> in texas mm -hmm. right this small group transformed a whole high school you know, they uh, like transformed the homeless community. And yet we have extremely large churches that can pass out food, right? With thousands and thousands of people. And, and so I just feel like it's an encouragement to our audience is that look what God can do with small. He can, he can change a whole town, right? He yeah. can change a whole town. And, and, and I just love how you've really simplified worship. Like let's 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 get rid of all this stuff and let's just simplify. What song do you know? Okay, <laughs> let's start there. You know. <laughs> and yeah. I read an article years ago. I shared it with Kristen. It was like, why aren't people worshiping in church anymore? And it had like five or six points. But one of the main points was like nobody knows any of these songs <laughs> that you're singing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there's a new song every week. So. I just love that simplifying worship, just, you know, casting off all those things that keep us um, from Jesus. You you mentioned in your last little bit about microchurches. 
um, about how some of your micro churches are kind of getting into the community and stuff. Could you maybe share with us a story about just an everyday believer, maybe that came to Christ, got baptized, and is now in mission? Just a story of something that they've been doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a couple of them. One, one that comes to mind is we had a a gal that was in one of those discovery Bible studies as a teenager, who really began to follow Jesus and become passionate for him and she's obviously from this region she the lord stirred her heart for her community which is is silt and it's it's another you know community about uh i don't know 5 miles from where i live that has 3 to 4000 um people in it and and she said god's just really stirred my heart for this place and she said uh, i think we need to prayer walk it so we spent 2 years with her prayer walking and the big thing that the Lord kept showing us that was missing in Silt is, is people feeling a sense of community and belonging to together. There, we just felt this void. There was just this void uh, when it came to community in Silt. And so um, her name is Misty. And she said, I think God wants me to put a coffee shop in Silt. And for this coffee shop to be a place where we build community and we begin to, you know, minister and, uh, and love people and share with people. So she did it. She put, she got the support of our uh, network and she put a coffee shop in about six, seven years ago. And it's called Misty's coffee shop. If you're ever in Silk, Colorado, stop in. It's an amazing place where people, Many, many people have experienced the love of Christ. They, we've had a number of Bible studies, again, happening in that space. They use it to, to build community in a number of ways. So, you know, we, we've seen a lot of examples uh, like that. I can also think of another lady that was over the Chamber of Commerce for our community. And she felt uh, that the Lord said her main assignment from the Lord was to be a blessing to the business community. And so, and, and as well as the town town staff. And so she did a couple of things. She got a prayer list of every staff member in the, in the town. And then she got the names of all the businesses and she assigned prayer warriors to every intercessor, to every single business and every single individual that worked in the town. And then she started having prayer meetings every week. Well, one of the um, businesses that uh, she felt led to pray over was uh, was a bar that was really causing a lot of problems for the other businesses down in the downtown area. So she would go down um, and she would lay hands on the building and she would pray and ask the Lord to to bring his kingdom to that space, to that building. And after about uh, six months of praying, the bar one day just shut down the town shut it down due to violations of code and several things and she came in my office and she said i'm so thankful that the bar shut down but i don't really know what god's doing with this but i think he's doing something and then we had a gathering one of our all gatherings i talked about where we bring all our churches and we had a, we have a homeless church the homeless micro church and they were in there with all the other churches and she was sharing the story of laying her hand on this building and it's shutting down and she said i don't know what god's doing with this well she sat down and one of our homeless guys stood up from our homeless church and he looked across at the lady and he said, ma'am, I just want you to know I'm an answer to your prayers. He said, I was the bartender in that bar. He said, when that bar shut down, I ended up on the streets and I ended up meeting Christ on the streets. I ended up in this ministry, feed my sheep. And he said, I've given my life to Christ and my life has changed. So thanks for praying over that building. Well, out of that, a couple other guys that were in the all church gathering from another micro church in the network said, uh, we feel like God's telling us to take the piece of land right next to the bar and turn it into a park. So our house church, our simple church is going to, we're going to renovate this park. And they did it all with their own resources. And the park is now a, a place for artwork for the children in our community. They display their art in this park. And so it's just, a, again, an ordinary person that has a heart for the business community that goes in and prays, not sure what her prayers are doing, but it's changing the atmosphere that then in turn 
is changing lives, then in turn is transforming the way the whole the whole area looks. Actually, our whole downtown area has been transformed economically, come to life. All the places, the key places of darkness have been moved out simply by this this one woman's, you know, uh, desire to really take ownership and pray. Wow. That's so cool. I I was thinking about, I forget where I heard it on a, another interview. Someone was talking about how we train the multiplication out of people and how if that gal had been in some kind of training, she would have maybe not put her hands on a building because <laughs> that's a little crazy, right? I mean, you know, I'm just thinking about regular context. If you went to a a, a church class, about, you know, prayer or anything like that, how we would train people to not put their hands on a building. And so how cool that the Lord, the Lord went ahead and moved through her anyway. Okay. So we wanted to ask you, Lee, what are some of the barriers that you see both individually and corporately that may be preventing people from engaging in mission outside the church walls? That's a great question. I think you know, what we were talking about earlier a little bit that, you know, learning to move from a place of God's presence, from deep abiding, learning how to do that is, um, is, is pretty key. And I think, uh, you know, it's kind of that, that picture in Acts chapter two and also Acts chapter four, where, um, you know, they, they got in the upper room and then in Acts four, after they'd experienced the early church experienced a little bit of persecution um, they immediately went back into the presence and they spent time with the Lord. And then, then the Holy Spirit came and power came and then they went out. And so I think learning in our such, uh, such busy culture, how to do that well as the body of Christ, how to, how to put ourselves both individually and corporately into the presence of, of God and then get, um, the power of the presence and then move out into mission from that place, get our missional assignments, get our direction from that. And so that would be the first thing I think is, is, is a barrier that we just really don't know how to do that very well. And then the second one, um, I'd say there's a book, uh, that I, I read years ago, years ago called making room for life by Randy Frazee. And, and really the gist, um, of the book is that we're just too busy to love. Um, and he, 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 he unpacks kind of in that book, you know, how we live as in, in just our American lifestyle, uh, busy, the busyness of our lifestyle and the compartmentalization, how we compartmentalize so much, but, uh, how that uh, keeps us from living, you know, being able to live effectively, uh, missionally. And, uh, and I think, what happens as a result of that is we become very separated um, from versus being integrated where the gospel is integrated into, um, you know, into uh, our everyday life where we work and where we live and we, things become very separated. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of times our, our, our churches, you know, are, are very separate. It's such a separate culture that the gospel, instead of it being integrated into culture, um, it, uh, it's really separated. So there's a great book on that topic as well called Out of the Fourth Place um, that, uh, that talks about, you know, this separation and integration barrier that we have. Um, but I think it's a big one because... Uh, the way we do church typically from, you know, the centralized place that we do it, uh, when I say more the conventional church, it creates these cultural, socioeconomic, geographic barriers for, um, that keep the, you know, keep the gospel from moving forward. And then I think the last one I've heard over and over through the years, the barrier is people just say, I'm not qualified. They disqualify themselves. And that can be based on this more expert mentality that you have to have um, to, to go and live on mission or to engage their engage lostness or to start discovery Bible studies. Um, but I, I hear that a lot where people are disqualifying themselves. Believers are disqualifying themselves. And so those would be some of the main barriers that come 
come to mind. I'm struck by uh, over and over how you talk about listening, practicing the presence. And it's just, it just hit me as you were talking. Oh my gosh, that's the outworking of actually believing that Christ is the head of the church. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. When Christ, right? I mean, right. yeah, go. Yeah. 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 I think that's it. And I think the thing we've even taken a step farther is, yeah, he's the head, but he knows better than we know how to complete the Great Commission. So he's given us this assignment to to go make disciples of all nations, you know, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son. So we we know that command, but but we have to view that command through the lens of he knows how to complete it better than we know how to complete it. Complete it. So he's given us the assignment, but we need to complete it under his leading. So the way Jesus did that is Jesus said, "I do nothing on my own initiative. I only do what the." The Father is telling me to do so. Jesus modeled this for us, this presence base, and uh, and how to do it. Well, then in turn, we need to base that the same in the same way, where we look to Jesus to lead us through the Holy Spirit, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to go and complete what He's commanding us to do. So it's and that comes out of a presence based ministry. Yeah, and so it really gets my thinking going is when you're talking about barriers to ministry, that's another barrier, isn't it? Kind of is because we have put other people in the place of, mm-hmm. you know, I need to go ask my pastor or I need mm-hmm. to, you know, something like that. That's another barrier. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that you guys have lived out and have been an example of what it looks like, practically speaking, to say that Jesus is head of the church. I mean, we would all say that, like nobody would argue <laughs> You know, no one, no one's going to argue that point, right? But in pra- in practical terms, it's lived out differently. So, Lee, last question, last maybe little little statement from you. Could you encourage our listeners an exhortation, maybe prophetic word, word of encouragement to people that are listening uh, that maybe want to start their own creative expressions of the gospel? Um, they feel that that tug, you know, that 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 push, that burden for a particular community, something along those lines. Just, you know, what would you say? Yeah, I think I'd say, you know, we we've hit on this too a little bit, but it it takes time, and so it this is this is a process um, that takes some time, and so our main job is to align well with the Lord, to hear His voice, to obey the things that He's telling us, you know, to to go after missionally, the places that He's telling us to go after. And then I think just persevering, learning how to stay the the course. And when you're staying the course, knowing that the battle is the Lord's, it's his battle, ultimately. He's the one that's going to win that battle. He's using us. He's chosen to use us to bring his kingdom. Mm -hmm. But he's the one that's going to win that battle. And so we have to continue to, to just stay the course, to persevere. And I, and I guess I'd say the last thing is we've learned it's so important to encourage you is to, is to find at least one or a few other, what we would call like a, a missional team mm. to, to go with, to do this, to help you be able to stay the course. Where I see people uh, struggle sometimes the most is they try to go alone. They try to do it alone um, and they get discouraged and they, and they, they basically, you know, peter out because of the, you know, lack of feeling you know, the, the support that they need. So it's kind of that Luke 10 principle, you know, when Jesus sent them out in twos. So yeah. have a team. We, we find if you have a team that goes to a common missional space that the Lord's calling you to go to, it's, it's more effective. You're able to stay, stay with it longer. So I'd encourage you to have a team. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more we could talk about there, but those would be some things just as, as people get started. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Lee, for joining us. It's been such a privilege to have you. I hope our listeners are as encouraged as I am. Uh, I know that you in our in our lives, and Kristen and I have been such a, a mentor and, you know, uh, really helped us along the way on how to see things. So we thank you personally mm-hmm. uh, for that. And we look for, forward to continue, continued uh, uh, working together in, in ministry. If someone wanted to get in contact with you, maybe ask some more questions or, you know, for whatever reason they would want to get in contact with you, uh, what would be a good way to do that? Yeah, the best way to get in contact with me be email. So lee.price at novo.org. So lee.price at novo.org. And 
we would love to, you know, just support you. Anybody that's listening supports you as you get started, you know, in this journey or as you're, as you're in it and you're needing some encouragement. Um, we do a lot of coaching and equipping uh, leaders uh, in, in mainly Europe and the U.S., Western settings, mm. and trying to live out, you know, the, the basic components of gospel movement. And- fun, fun. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. Next time, we will continue our conversation with Brandon Maddox, a local practitioner here in the Santa Clarita area. If you've enjoyed the content offered on these podcasts and would like to support us and our team, we would like to invite you to donate at the scvunderground.org. We truly appreciate any support from our listeners. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.